Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, almost said Acts. We'll be in Acts 11 in two weeks. First Peter 4, uh, verse 12, as, as Pastor Kevin already read. Uh, listen, before we go there, uh, I, I've shared this with some, of our, with some of our members over the last couple of weeks, but back over Thanksgiving, I, I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law, uh, and, and, and we, were, we were hanging out, talking over Thanksgiving, and, and, he, and he was sharing with me that the, the, the higher-ups of his uh, very large company, they, they, came, they, were, they were trying to come up with their, their motto, sort of their slogan for 2021. After, after 2020, with, with all that it entailed, uh, and, and their, that what, they, what they came up with was, was winning in any environment, right? <laughs> winning in any environment. Um, and so we're talking, and, and he, he proceeds to tell me that like a fifth of their company has been laid off. And I, at one point in the conversation, I just said, like, do the employees, do they, do they feel like they're winning? And he's like, no, <laughs> no, not even close. And, and yet at, at the top, those at the top were, were just sort of plowing forward, either, either oblivious uh, or just, just insensitive to the experience of their people. I shared this with our members a, a couple weeks ago at our, our family meeting. Church, 2020, for, for a lot of people, it felt like a fire. Y'all with me? It felt like a, fi- a, a fire that, that burned. And many people, they, they lost jobs. Some lost loved ones to COVID. Some saw their marriages unravel. Others experienced the, the, the stifling reality of, of mental health struggles. 2020 saw a lot of people just sort of living in this fear, living in constant dread. And the nation watched in, in horror. Uh, the, the George Floyd tragedy is, is, you know, and then protests and then riots, anger, frustration, sadness. And you had politics just saturated everything from social, from sports to social media to everyday conversation. And clearly, if you haven't already figured it out at this point, just because we, we turn the page on the calendar, it's a new, uh, a new year. Things didn't suddenly like just magically get better. They didn't improve. So the question becomes, in the midst of the fire, what will the response of the church be? Like, what, what will the church's response be? And, and I, would just, I would just pose that question to you, Christian. What, like, what will your response be? And while the world around us either ignores the fire or just dives down deeper into despair, like, how do we cling to a biblical perspective? Like, how do we hold fast to the Word of God in the midst of everything that's going on? And then 
the question becomes, what do we do with suffering? What do what do we do with suffering? What do we do with, with the trials and with the fire? First Peter provides, I, I believe, some real answers. And First Peter reminds us that when we pass through this forge, when, when the fire is on us, when we go through the forge, God's glory must be on display in His people. Amen? I don't know if y'all are hearing me this morning. When we go through the fire, God's glory must be on display in His people. Amen? Y'all are the 930 service. Y'all are supposed to be more awake than the 8, okay? Because when God's, listen, when, when faithfulness and when hope and when glory spring from your pain, you, you, can, you can rest in, in this. You've just given the world a tangible illustration of the good news of Jesus. Amen? Let me give you a little bit of context. Peter, because we're, we're switching gears from Acts. We've been in Acts for so long, but 1 Peter was written in, in the early uh, to mid-A.D. 60s. Um, and, and let me just say this. Persecution was ramping up. We know this from history. A.D. 64, there was a fire that went through Rome, and Nero, Nero blamed the Christians. And so as Peter penned this letter, um, in just a short amount of time, there were Christians who were already losing their homes. There were, there were Christians who were losing their livelihoods. They were losing loved ones. They were being, quote-unquote, relocated, right? Carried off into exile, and persecution was, was real, and it was pervasive. And so it's in that context that Peter wrote this letter. And I, I want to look at three things as, as we break down this passage this morning, as we look at what it is to be forged to reflect His glory. And the first thing is this, as we look at verse 12 and 13, God is glorified through our trials when we see suffering as part of the package. Amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, part of the package. That was kind of wimpy. Look at your other neighbor. Say part of the package. There you go. <laughs> Look at 12 and 13. It says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, we've got to you got to see suffering as, as part of the package. And, and there, there's two sets of, of, of kind of words that I want to key in on. The, the first set of words are surprised and strange uh, in verse 12. And the second, uh, equally important, are, are the words trial, as in fiery trial, and test. Let's break down the first two words here. See, and, and this, is, this is the tension that Peter's audience that the church would have would have walked in and really I think it's a, the same tension that a lot of us are walking in right now but as you look at first Peter John Stott says this Stott says has Peter not assured them of their victory uh, of the victory of Christ over all the powers of darkness and death has has he not called them uh, to be the, the the holy people of God living stones in God's temple heirs of heaven like Peter said all that yet 
The more, John Stott says this, the more firmly Peter grounds their hope, the more eloquently he states their privilege, the more strange it must have seemed for them to have to go through suffering. And, and, and I think that kind of really encapsulates First Peter because the key words are suffering, the words that you see over and over again, but glory, suffering and glory. Make no mistake, it was getting increasingly costly to follow Jesus. But the first thing Peter reminds Christian is, is uh, hey, you, you've got to be shockproof when the world turns on you. You all with me? Like, Peter said, you, listen, you got to be shockproof when the world turns on you. After all, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. You don't have to turn there, but John, if you want to jot it down, John 15 18 through 20, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep you. See, I think we have some revisionist history in how we remember Jesus. Like we, like we look back and think Jesus was like walking around like petting lambs, like, you know, just the world hated him. The world hated Jesus. Jesus was persecuted. Peter was reminding those in, in the northern regions of Asia Minor that they couldn't interpret their experience as something foreign. Or strange. Far from it. Jesus, Jesus said, expect it. It was, it was part of the package. See, we, we've, we've had different variations of, of this conversation with our twins. But the twins, like they, they, they like sports. They just, they just don't love sports, right? And, and so we're, we're trying to figure out uh, if, if they should sign up for baseball, and, and Levi really wants to sign up for baseball, and, and, and like they, and all our boys, they love the idea of like getting out there with their bros and like running around and hitting the ball, and like man, it's going to be so much fun. But at twelve, because like twelve's getting to be like the real deal. Like they don't understand that part of the package is the discipline of practice in in grinding at it not just not just um like hey baseball season starts tomorrow I should pick up a ball again for the first time in nine months right um I'm like guys there are 12 13 and 14 year olds throwing the ball 60 to 70 miles per hour. These kids are like as tall as dad. They have pretty beefy mustaches. They have nicknames like Tank and Bruiser. Okay? Like you can't, like you can't just like the idea of sports at this point. <laughs> like you have to count the cost and understand that, that part of the deal is practice. And at times pain. It's part of the process. And church, the same is true when it comes to counting the cost of following Jesus. And see, that brings us to the other set of words that I want to key in on in verse 12, and, and that's trial, fiery trial, and test. 
In the Greek, that, that word fiery trial literally means a, a burning ordeal. No, Christians weren't literally in a, in a fire like Daniel's three friends in, in Babylon, but the trials they were walking through were real. Like the, the suffering, you better believe it was real. The hurt was real. But listen, the, the trial was not meant to, to crush. It was never meant to crush, but to test and to prove their faith. Amen? That was the purpose of it. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 10 and 11. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. See, in Jesus' paradigm, he said that, he said that trials are a blessing. What? <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? But see, here's the perspective that Peter had. Peter, church fam, was there at the mount when Jesus preached that sermon, when he taught these things. But he was also there when, when Jesus later, when his master suffered and when his master bled and died. But you know what? He was also there and he encountered the risen Christ. Amen? That's why I could say in verse 13, rejoice. And in the Greek, the verb form suggests continuation, like as in keep on rejoicing. And you keep on rejoicing. And you keep on rejoicing. But then he says something interesting. He connects their, their suffering with the suffering of Christ. And it makes, you, it makes me think of Philippians 3.10 where, where Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and check this out, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. See, <laughs> we love the theology of our union with Christ when we're talking about forgiveness of sin. Like, yes, sign me up. Like, I'm all over that. We love the theology of our union with Christ when we're talking about the power of the resurrection, or, or when we're, we're talking about the hope that we have, the hope of eternal life, the hope of the kingdom. But our union with Christ means that we are connected to the whole pattern of the life of Christ, including Christ, ready? The suffering servant. And Daniel Doriani says this, when we endure persecution, it demonstrates that we belong to God, our King. And to the world, it, it demonstrates that our, our, your identity, your security, and your hope is not, is not anchored in this temporal place. And our ability to walk through the fire and to rejoice to keep on rejoicing in our identity in Christ and His promises. It proves our faith. And it provides evidence of these eternal realities that others long for. And, and, and let me drop some application right here. Church, here, here's, here's the big thought. Don't, don't waste your trials. Don't don't waste your trust. Like, don't waste your suffering. See, like, the world doesn't know what to do with trials. They don't. 
The world does not know what to do with trials. It, it was John Stuart Mill who influenced Bertrand Russell and others to embrace atheism based on this premise. John Stuart Mill said this. He said, God, God cannot be, this is why he became an atheist, God cannot be both omnipotent and good. And, and maybe, like maybe you're, you're feeling that right now. Like maybe, maybe you're, you're saying, man, if God, if God is all powerful, right? If God is omnipotent, then why the atrocities? Then why, why the injustice? Why did I lose my friend? Why, like why, why did I lose this family member? Why am I hurting? Like if God, if God is so good, wouldn't he in his uh, omnipotence stop the suffering? Maybe he can't stop it. Maybe, he, maybe he's not omnipotent at, after all. So the question becomes, what do we do with the problem of suffering? What do we do with suffering? Church, as hard as it is to hear, we must be willing to embrace a completely different paradigm. We have, got to, we have got to completely shift our thinking and our understanding. And here's what we need to understand. God created a perfect world. God created a perfect world. He created man to perfectly bear his image and represent his loving rule over creation. But man chose sin over God. And like it wasn't an Adam and Eve thing, like we all do. Like we, we choose sin over God as created beings. Like we're in this full-scale rebellion against a perfect and holy and righteous God and creator. And the question, the question we're not asking is this. R.C. Sproul says, why? Why, in light of our blasphemous hostility to our Creator, are we not all suffering in hell at this very moment? Sproul goes on and he says, one reason, one reason that there is suffering in this world. In fact, the reason, the reason that there is suffering is not, Sproul says, not that God is not good, but because He is, and a good God will not allow evil to go unpunished. And so, like, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not saying that all suffering is directly tied to personal sin. That's not, that's not biblical. But it is to say that suffering exists because this world is broken and in rebellion against God. So we're asking all the wrong questions. The fact that God would extend his extravagant, amazing grace to even one person should absolutely astound us. And what, what we know, like we, we know that God through Christ has offered us this gift of salvation. Like we, we, like knowing that He offers us forgiveness of sin and eternal, knowing that He offers us eternal life because of that, we can embrace the trials as part of the package and glorify God in our suffering. Verse 13 says, Rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 
Second thing this morning is this, as we look at 14 through 18. God is glorified through our trials when, when we cling to his righteousness. Amen? When we cling to his righteousness. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, cling to his righteousness. Look at your other neighbor and say, cling to his righteousness. <laughs> Sam likes that. Look at verse 14. It says this. If you are insulted at the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel Verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, God, God is glorified through our trials when we cling to his righteousness. Verse 14, when we're insulted for the name of Christ, it's, it's actually a blessing because God's glory is on display when through our suffering we point to Christ. But then verse 15 says this, it reminds us that it's, it's not a win to suffer for unrighteousness. Like it's, it's not a win to suffer for unrighteousness or lawlessness. And I, and I would, I would like it's not a win for you to suffer for your own misguided decisions. Years back, I, 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 talked to, uh, I, I talked to a local coffee shop owner uh, who employed several uh, Christian students as, as baristas at his business. And, and there, there's two very different versions of this story. But while, while on the clock, uh, they, they, would, they began to pray for customers. They began to pray for customers. You think, like, that's, that's, that's cool. But like, the line would back up. Is they're like praying, like laying hands on customers. Uh, and, and, and while they were, uh, quote unquote, ministering to, to those who were coming to get coffee, like even as people were, were waiting on their coffee, they, they just began to completely shirk their responsibilities as employees. And several, several had to be let go. And they, they ended up playing the, the, the suffering Christian martyr card to all who would listen. No, listen, you, you just stunk at your job. <laughs> and he set a pretty poor example of what a Christian work ethic is actually supposed to look like. See, verse, verse 14 reveals that the, the, the glory comes when we hold fast, not, not to our standard, but, but to the standard of Christ's righteousness. See, Matthew 6.33 said, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, we, as you look at verse 16, we, we don't have to be ashamed to suffer for the name of Jesus. Far, far from it. God's, listen, God's holiness and his righteous standard in Christ is magnified, especially in a culture that is increasingly pluralistic and relativistic. And so it's, a, it's against this backdrop of a, all these changing subjective standards and opinions and relative truth that there is this opportunity to point others to unchanging truth. Amen? unchanging righteousness, unchanging justice in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. 
But no doubt, listen, when the world encounters the light of Christ, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be persecution. And, and verse 17 It's probably not the most popular verse in the American church, but verse 17 and 18 point to both a present and a future reality in regard to the righteous standard of Christ. Check it out. See, Kent Hughes said this, "Even even the Old Testament prophets said that judgment must begin with God's people. Now, church fam, here's the thing to understand. This is not judgment in the sense of condemnation. It's not, that's not what Peter is talking about. It's judgment in the broader sense of holding his people to a righteous standard. Are y'all tracking with me? God holds his people to the standard of Christ. And Malachi 3.3 talks about this, this refining fire that God would send on his people, a fire meant to purify the sons of Levi and refine them. Malachi 3.3 says, like gold and silver. And the ultimate goal of, of the refining fire was for God's people to look more like their God. Let me say that again. The ultimate goal of the refining fire was for God's people to look more like their God. The goal was always righteousness. But see, in Jesus, all the Old Testament prophecies culminated in the fulfillment and in the embodiment of God's righteousness. Even when we all fell short, Christ was the standard. And so you get to the New Testament, and, and, and that's why you have passages like Hebrews 12, 6, where the author of Hebrews says, God, God disciplines his children. He, he disciplines his children whom he loves. Why? Because we are, listen, you are saved to be set apart. Christian, you are, you are saved to be set apart for Jesus Christ. And God's goal for you, like we have lost all perspective, perspective of this in the, in the American church. God's goal for you, Christian, is still holiness. Like God's goal for you is not to just like soak up and consume the grace of, of God and Christ so you can sin more and more. It's that your life look like Him. That is God's goal for you. Jesus See, this is, this is verse 17 and 18. It, it, it gets, it's sobering. It, it, gets, it gets real quick. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 31 through 32. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. I'll go through verse 33. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be Gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. See, we will, we will all stand before Christ, lost and saved. And let me, be, let me be really clear. Ready? Let me be really clear. Those in Christ will be saved based on his righteousness alone. Amen? Can we just say amen to that? Like, we stand, we stand for Christ. We are saved based on his finished work at the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, his righteousness. 
But Scripture is clear about this. There, there's this simultaneous truth where, Christian, our, our works will be weighed. And they will, according to 1 Corinthians 3, our works will go through the fire. And anything that we've done that wasn't built on the foundation of Christ will be burned up. Gone. And that brings us to the more sobering point of verse 17 and 18. If we are only saved by the kindness and the work of Jesus alone, what will become of those who stand before him on that day and they've lived their life in rebellion and they live their life in unbelief against him? And scripture says it's clear it's going to be a day of sadness and it will be a day of judgment and Ultimate justice. And here's, here's the application, right? When it comes to how we process trials to the glory of God. It is easy. It is easy to have a, a spirit and a, and a mindset of entitlement when we're walking through it. I mean, like that, 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 that sense of entitlement, it's so entrenched in American culture. It's easy when you're going through sufferings and trials to go to have that, that woe, like that woe is me mindset to, to say, man, I, like I don't deserve this. Like I, I am good. Like I am, I am righteous. Like God owes me. But Christian, God is glorified most. Listen. God is glorified most in your trials when you cling to his righteousness, not your own. Third thing this morning is this. God is glorified through our trials when we entrust our souls to a faithful God. Amen? God is glorified through our trials when we entrust our souls to a faithful God. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, faithful God. Look at your other neighbors say, faithful God. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, the soul is the unseen, the, the immaterial part of, our pers- uh, of a person. Our soul is the inner self, built Built for eternity, even when, these, even when these bodies as they are break down and wear out. Though, though one day, 1 Corinthians 15 is clear, Paul teaches that we will inherit a resurrection body built for the kingdom, built for eternity. But Peter, he concludes this passage with an important reminder. Even, listen, Christian, even when we suffer Even when our bodies break down, when the physical loss is great, when the brokenness of this current world is pressing in, we entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Amen? And in the Greek, that that word entrust means to give to someone for safekeeping, to turn turn over to someone to care for. D.L. Moody says it's like a banking term. uh, when, When you deposit something, like you deposit funds. So here's the picture. Right, here's the illustration. When you, when you roll up to the bank and you, or, you, or you deposit your check online to the bank, you expect and you know that those funds will be there when you need them. And when you entrust your soul to God, you can expect and know that his faithfulness will be there when you need him. In church, it's a good thing that his faithfulness is not rooted in our works. Right? I praise the Lord that his faithfulness is not rooted in my character, 
my works or, or my, my merit. R.C. Sproul says he loves us not because he owes us or because our character demands it. He loves us because of his mercy and grace that transcends our understanding. Christian, God is faithful. Do we, like, do we believe that? God is faithful. Do, do we believe that? Listen, listen, do you believe that even if your life is poured out this side of eternity, that Christ will greet you and meet you with open arms? That God, that the God who called you is faithful to complete the, the work of salvation that he started? That you're, do you believe that your ultimate hope your ultimate identity and your ultimate citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. I'll close, I'll close with this and then we're done. Let me close with this. I, I, don't, I don't pretend, I don't pretend to know where, where you are. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and, and you're, like, you're in the midst of it right now and you are struggling with God. Like you, you've got beef with God. You're wondering, like, where, where has he gone? Like, does he, does God see me? Does God, like, does God care? Maybe you're here and, and, and you're, you're feeling like that, like abandoned in your hour of need, in the hour of trial. Listen, I, like, I wish I could tell you, and I wish I could tell you, Christian, that, that you are exempt from suffering and, and trials, but you're not. And none of us are. Today, many churches regularly recite the, the Nicene Creed the creed, it's, it's existed since the 4th century A.D. It's anchored the church to, to Trinitarian theology. It's anchored the church to the virgin birth, to the, the historicity of Christ's crucifixion, His resurrection, to His future kingdom and, and glory. But it's been said, it's been said that at the Nicene Council, listen to this, of the 318 delegates that attended, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye, had not lost a hand, or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their faith in Jesus. And they understood the truth of 2 Corinthians 4.17, where Paul said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Amen. They were willing to walk through the fire because they were walking in the path of Christ. And they knew this. Ready? At the cross, God used the greatest injustice this world has ever seen to accomplish the greatest good this world has ever known. Say that one more time. At the cross, God used the greatest injustice this world has ever seen to accomplish the greatest good this world has ever known. And if Jesus' trial 
And if Jesus' suffering and even his death led to redemption and life and hope to the world, then your suffering is not wasted. Your your trials are not wasted. If glory was on the other side of the cross, believe that glory will be on the other side of you laying down your life for the sake of the gospel. And so here's the call. Here's the call this morning, Christian. The fire is meant to forge you to reflect the glory of God. It's meant to to forge you to reflect the glory of God. John Stott says the glory of Christ is more than a future hope. It is a present possession. So don't ever forget that. Christian, stand firm. Christian, stand firm. Like Like I have to believe that one person needs to hear that this morning. Like you are hanging on. Stand firm in the faith. And if you're here and you've, you've never trusted Jesus, know that a good God suffered in your place. A good God took your sins on that cross so that you might have forgiveness and life and hope. You just have to believe and follow Jesus. Y'all pray with me this morning.